is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might. Who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their, of their waves, the tumult so that those who dwell at the end of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. Your cra- or you crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. What an incredible psalm this morning. Again, the psalm begins with the words, Praise is due to you, O God. And really in this psalm, we see the answer to the question, why? Why is praise due to God? Why is praise due to you, O Lord? And there are three things we're going to see this morning in this psalm, in Psalm 65. First of all, we're going to see this. God is worthy of our praise. Praise is due to you, O God, because you are good to your people. That's verses 1 through 4. You are good to your people. Number two, praise is due to you, O God, because you are great in your power. That's verses 5 through 8. And then finally, praise is due to you, O God, because you are generous in your provision. Praise is due to our God. And in verse 1, David tells us that his people should give God praise because that is what He is due and that they should keep the vows that they have made, that they should perform the vows that they have made. That is, David is saying to God's people as the one who would be king, they, God's people, should give their praise to Him and should keep their promises to Him because of who he is and because of what he's done. So let's look at verses 1 through 4 as we begin. Praise is due to you, O God, number one, because you are good to your people above all. You are good to your people. Again, verses 1 through 4. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. Now, Zion was the place where God's people, the people of Israel, came together to corporately worship and give their praise 
to God. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and you, and to you, shall vows be performed. When we make promises, we should fulfill those promises as we seek the Lord. Verse 2, O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. In these first four verses, there are three reasons that we as God's people, if we're trusting in Christ and therefore are God's people, three reasons that we should praise Him and that praise is due to Him. Number one, God hears their prayers, that is, the prayers of His people. God is good to His people in this way. God hears their prayers. Just a week or so ago, I saw that there's a new book that's come out on prayer by J.D. Greer, the recent president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and the name of the book is Just Ask. Just Ask. And in many ways, that's what this psalm in verse 2 encourages us to do, right? Because God is here called, O you who hear prayer. God hears prayer. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, referring to prayer, ask and you will receive. Then speaking about prayer, he said, seek and you shall find. And then finally, continuing to speak about prayer, he says, knock and the door will be opened to you. Jesus is saying, just ask. Because the God that we ask in Jesus' name is a God who hears prayer. He hears our prayer. Now, Jesus' half-brother, James, later in the New Testament, wrote these words. You have not because you ask not. Let that sink in. You have not because you ask not. That means there are things that you would have that you don't have because you didn't ask. You have not because you ask not. Just ask. That's what verse 2 is saying to us in this psalm. Already in the Psalms that we've been walking through this summer, we've seen a great deal about prayer and we've learned, I think about a couple of Psalms back where David talks about pouring out our souls to God in prayer. This is something that is absolutely essential for us as we seek to follow Christ, especially in times when we might be tempted to be anxious, in times of change, in times of turmoil. We need to pour out our hearts to God and we need to ask. Ask for God to work in the coming months in this congregation. Ask God to lead and to bring to this place the person that he has for this congregation to lead you further than I could ever lead you. Ask, just ask. So, God, you're good to your people because... 
God hears their prayers, the prayers of His people. Number two, we learn in these verses, God forgives their sins. God forgives the sins of His people. Those who come to Him through Jesus and trust Him are forgiven for their sins. And literally in the original, the language here is atones. God atones for the sins of His people. And the word for atone here that's used throughout the Old Testament means basically this, to cover. God covers the sins of His people. And that points back to the Old Covenant where on the Day of Atonement particularly, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant called the mercy seat. And blood would cover the mercy seat. And as we went through Hebrews, those of you who were here over the past year or so, we talked about how that the Holy of Holies was patterned after heaven and a picture of the presence of God. And the Holy of Holies that represents the presence of God had in its midst the Ark of the Covenant, and in that Ark was the law. Think Ten Commandments inside this chest and above on the lid of this Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat and that's where the blood was sprinkled. And the picture there was the mercy seat was the footstool of God's throne. So God is seated on His throne, that's the imagery, and He places His feet on the mercy seat, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, and within the Ark of the Covenant is the law. And so the image is there's blood between God and the law that we have broken. And that's how we're forgiven. And that blood ultimately was, and the blood on the Day of Atonement all so pointed to the blood that Jesus shed for us on the cross. And that's what's covering our sins as God's people. And so praise is due to God. And then number three, and it gets better, God satisfies their hearts. That's the third thing that God does for His people. In His goodness, in His graciousness, He satisfies our hearts. Verse 4, blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. This means the presence of God. We can experience, we can enjoy the presence of God here and now and find great satisfaction, but this ultimately points to the future and literally being in the presence of God Himself and finding perfect and permanent satisfaction in His presence. God, You are worthy of our praise. Praise is due to you, O God, because you are good to your people. That's verses 1 through 4. Then, verses 5 through 8, because you are great in your power. You are good to your people above all. You are great in your power over all. God is sovereign over everything. That's what verses 5 through 8 say. Quickly, verse 5, by awesome deeds you answer us. With righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas. 
the one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the end of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. God, you are great in your power over all. The God of our salvation, we're told here, the God of our salvation is the hope of the ends of the earth. That's why Jesus said just before he ascended, you'll receive power to his apostles. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God, revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, is the hope of the ends of the earth and that's why we send out people from our congregation like Kalen tonight who sense God's calling to take this message to the ends of the earth so that those who haven't heard will hear and so that people, all flesh, not meaning every individual, but people from all nations, all people groups, all language groups, people will come to this one who answers prayer as they call out to him for salvation through Jesus Christ. I love how this psalm points, as all of Scripture does, but this psalm to me, in so many unique ways, points to Jesus. Notice what it says in verse 6. It says in verse 6 that God made the mountains. And then it says in verse 7, it says that God stills the seas. He made the mountains. He steals, stills the seas. Now, what does that remind you of? Do you remember Jesus in the boat with his disciples? And the storm comes, and the seas begin to rock the boat, and the men are in fear for their life. And Jesus says, peace, be still. And he, he stills the roaring sea. Who? Who steals the roaring sea, the roaring of the waters? Jesus. Jesus' awesome deeds, his signs, demonstrated his deity, that he was God in human flesh. Because this psalm says God does this. The New Testament tells us that Jesus did this. And so Jesus is God. Jesus is God. God's deeds are awesome and righteous. And God was embodied in flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And we should worship him. We should worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, notice how this section ends. Verse 8, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth... Do you see a phrase here that's repeated? Yes, the ends of the earth. Those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. And then the rest of verse 8 tells us particularly, immediately what the psalmist is talking about. 
What does he mean by God's signs? The end of the verse, you make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. What's he talking about? Sunrise, sunset, sunrises, sunsets. Those are signs in the sense that when people witness sunrises and sunsets that are beautiful and that are awe-inspiring, maybe without even knowing it, they are seeing a sign from God of His power and of His goodness. They're seeing who God is, though they may not see who God is in spite of that. And again, I just love the fact that this section ends with joy, and as we're going to see, the next section ends with joy twice. And so my prayer this morning is that you will, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, leave this gathering this morning knowing, God, you are good to your people. God, you are great in your power. Praise is due to you. And I will worship you, and I will be filled with joy. Sunrise and sunset are so glorious that they are compared to a shout for joy by the psalmist here. It also may imply that those who watch those may literally shout for joy when they really understand what's happening when God does what he does in our creation. Praise is due to you, O God. You're good to your people, you're great in your power, and then finally, verses 9 through 13, you are generous in your provision. You are generous, God, in your provision for all. That's what this last part of the psalm is telling us. God is good to all. Listen, God is especially good to his people. We saw that at the beginning of the psalm, and now as we come to the end of the psalm, we'll see that God is even good to those who aren't his people. God is good to all because that's the kind of God he is. Verse 9, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The, heel, the hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Joy. God is generous to all in his provision. That's why James said, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow nor variableness from turning. God is the source of all good things, all things that are needed and required for human beings. That's what this psalmist is telling us. That's what this psalm tells us. He is Good. And remember what Jesus said about the rain, which is what we see referred to at the beginning of verse 9? Jesus said, God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Wouldn't it be interesting if God just caused rain to fall on 
the just, those who are righteous through faith in Christ, and didn't cause the rain to fall on those who are unjust? I mean, you could just go down the street, no, yep, no, yep, you know? But it doesn't work that way. Because God is generous. He's gracious. He's good to all. And that's what we need to understand. Now, let me ask you this question, and I think this is something that's pretty important, too, for us to think of, even as people who profess faith in Christ, to make sure we don't have the wrong kind of thinking here. Because some professing Christians are practical deists. And by that, I mean they believe there is a God, but they don't believe he's actively and presently involved right now. It's sort of like he created it, he wound it up like a clock, and it's still running on its own, and he's just sort of walked away. No. Now, you may not say you believe that, but some of us live like that. And that's why verse 9, I think, is so important. You, referring to God, visit the earth and water it. The next time it rains, here's what you should think of. God is present in his provision within his creation. God is present in his provision within his creation. So the next time it rains, I want you to think this way. Think of a gardener visiting his gardening and garden and watering it. That's what's happening when God sends rain, when there's rain. Think of a farmer visiting his field and watering it. That's the language here, and that's how we should think of it. Again, we just think it's just sort of a natural cycle. We know all the natural reasons that things happen, precipitation and so forth. But folks, that's not a biblical way to see it, if that's the only thing you see. God is the one who does this actively. Currently, he does this for us And because of it, he says, the river of God is full of water. It rains so much that the the river of God is just overflowing. And again, this is an image that's picked up later in the New Testament. You heard it read just a few minutes ago. Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers, plural, rivers of living water. And this he spoke of the Spirit who was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. It's a picture of the abundant life that God has for us as we live in the power and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, what are we supposed to do in this power? We're to go to the ends of the earth and be his witnesses, be witnesses to Jesus Christ. And then he talks about the abundance of the harvest. There's so much grain that when you put it on the wagon, it, it, because of the bumps, it falls off. There's just so much that it falls off and, and, and there, people are literally, the wheels are literally running over it because there's so much and they just, they just can't transport it without it falling off the wagon. That's the picture here. Imagine these things, verse 12, the pastures of the wilderness overflow, the hills gird themselves with joy, the meadows clothe themselves with flocks, the valleys deck themselves with grain, flocks, grain, and they shout and sing together for joy. Christians 
should marvel in creation and rejoice in their creator. Not just someone who did something a long time ago, but someone who is actively still giving every good and every perfect gift that we receive. It comes down from him. I love these words from the old hymn, Thy bountiful care, what tongue can recite? It breathes in the air, it shines in the light. That's what this psalm ends with. It ends with helping us to see God's bountiful care for all and the salvation that he offers to those who are at the ends of the earth as far away as you can imagine through faith in his son who came and who lived and who died so that we could be forgiven of our sins and so that we could have eternal life in a new heaven and a new earth and a new creation where we will be perfectly satisfied. I love the psalm. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what is in store for those of us who know God as our creator, our redeemer, and as our friend. I hope you know him. I urge you, trust him. Trust what God has done for you in Jesus Christ as your only hope of forgiveness, your only hope of abundant life, of real joy. It comes from the one who created all of the things that in these hills we can enjoy and in so many other places are so gorgeous and so awesome. He created that for our pleasure. But he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth where only righteousness dwells. And that's where we can be satisfied forever through faith in Christ. Let's bow. And let's pray together. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your goodness, for your greatness, and for your generosity. And I pray that today we would praise you from the bottom of our hearts, that there would be joy, there would be joy in our hearts as we trust in Christ and as we worship you because of all that you've done. Thank you that you are the creator. You are our defender, that you're our redeemer, that you're our friend through Jesus Christ. Praise is due to you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.